part of your missions program. You, you get it right, and you're doing great things around the world. I hope you'll take the time to go out here in the, uh-oh, is it vestibule, lobby, foyer, perhaps? What do you call it? Concourse, like on an airport. Okay, got it. You go out here on the concourse. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in a church where it's called the concourse. That's great. You go out here, check out the tables. Talk to the missionaries. Ask them a question or, or two. or Find out a little bit about them. They're not going to bite you. They're not going to sell you something. The fact that you stop at their booth doesn't mean you're going to their country. Just stop and see what's going on and check them out. It'd be good, good for you and good for them. Maybe even you'll find somebody you want to pray for or somebody you are interested in finding out more about. When I was growing up, my dad and I had this little routine. My dad was a very serious man, so a little routine meant that it was our moment of fun. And, uh, and we would play this thing, usually with my friends or a company that came over, and he would start it by just saying the line, hey, I got to go for a plane ride today. And I would catch that immediately and say, oh, that's good news. Now, some of you have heard these stories. And he'd say, no, 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 because the plane ran out of gas. And then my response would be, oh, that's bad news, right? And then he would say, oh, but it was okay because the plane had a parachute in it. And by this time, it had everybody's attention. And I would say, oh, that's good news. And he'd say, yeah, but the parachute didn't work. Then I would say, oh, that's, yeah, you got it. You can play this game. And he'd say, but it was okay because as I was falling, I saw this big haystack down below me. And I would say, that's and then he'd say, yeah, but there was this pitchfork. <laughs> you know, it, it just went on and on. He would add lines to it. And we always called it kind of our good news, bad news story. Jesus has a good news, bad news story. Now, it doesn't make sense that Jesus would ever have to tell a good news, bad news story. But you heard it read earlier today. And we're going to take a look at it again. So Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, we'll just look at the scripture here on the screen or on your device. Uh, it's kind of a summary of a period of time in Jesus' life. There are several times in scripture that you have these summaries. Uh, they, they, they might cover uh, six months of activity or they might cover a a long discussion, but this one is this: the end of chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Now tonight we're going to talk about the secrets of the harvest, and we're going to pick out three words from this passage. And if you want to kind of have fun, figure out if you can figure those three words, the secrets of the harvest. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Everybody knew what that would be like, sheep without a shepherd, just roaming around lost. Then he said to his disciples, verse 37, 
The harvest is plentiful. Here's the good news. But the workers are few. That's the bad news. Isn't that a shame Jesus had to say that? I mean, there's a lot of good stuff happening. I just don't have enough people to get it all done. The opportunities are countless, but I don't have enough people to walk through those open doors. I have a lot of people who are saying, how can I get saved? And I don't have enough people to tell them how to get saved. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Let's just, let's just take a little picture of the world today. Let me just tell you a few harvest is plentiful stories. Uh, the first one would have to be China. How can you ever do anything in missions without talking about China? What God is doing and being allowed to do through the people of China is, is amazing. 180 million believers in China, largest Christian community in the world. More people going to church today in China than in America. And everything you hear about China is true, folks. I'm not here to debate any of that. There are pastors in jail for preaching. There are other pastors that are preaching to 10,000 people today. There are people that have never seen a Bible. There are people that have Bibles. There are people that can share their faith in small groups. There are people that get arrested for sharing their faith in small groups. Everything you hear about China is true. Still 180, 180 million believers in China. Now, if you flip over to the other side of that silk trail, that silk road, you find Iran, Persia. Today, there's a church at every village of Iran. Every village. Now, some of those churches meet at 2 o'clock in the morning. Heavy persecution. But those churches are the results of Chinese Christians who have become workers some never gone to Bible school, some only knowing Jesus for a few years, some just finally getting a hold of a Bible, but they, they became taxi drivers and domestic workers in Iran and have started the churches of Iran. That's who's running the churches of Iran. The harvest is plentiful. The workers have gone from China to Iran and are doing the job. The next largest country in the world would be India. 1.3 billion. It, within a few years, it will be the largest country in the world. Um, good news in India. Now, India is closing down. If you have missionaries in India, uh, you need to pray for them because it's going to be hard to get visas to go back into India. It's closing down. They want it to be Hinduistan. They want it to be all Hindu. They want the Christians out of there, but they want to they want to brag about religious freedom, so they have to do it very carefully, and they're just closing it down slowly but surely. So that project you have in India is so important. Get that done while you can get it done. Do it. Thank you for doing that. Um, but this is our broadcast couple in India. We have a team there. They broadcast. This couple broadcasts in 14 languages. Isn't that amazing? 14 major languages of India. They're telling people about Jesus. And then God comes along and says, well, let me just open another door for you. India celebrates Christmas, but they don't understand what Christmas is. They think it's just giving presents to each other. So this couple walks into the government and says, do you, do you know what Christmas is? And they said, well, yeah, it's giving presents to each other. 
It's an American holiday. We like it. We want to celebrate it. They said, well, but did you know it's a birthday party? What? Yeah, Christmas is a birthday party. It's the birthday of a man named Jesus. Would you like us to tell that story to India? And on government radio station, because they don't allow private radio, these people talk to 1.3 billion people every Christmas, the day before, the day of, and the day after Christmas, telling them whose birthday it is and what Jesus did. God opened that door. You ought to see the response we get from that. The harvest, folks, is plentiful. The opportunities are amazing. Just recently, you've been reading in the paper for Myanmar, a group of, of people called the Rohingyas have been incredibly persecuted. Myanmar is a Buddhist country. Rohingyas are Muslims. They have chased them out. Now, we've been looking at the Rohingyas for years, trying to figure out how to get the gospel to them. First of all, Burma won't let you do that. And secondly, they're Muslims. They're not interested in the gospel. Therefore, it was doubly difficult to get the gospel to these people. So then Burma started persecuting these people. These people left, went to Bangladesh, where there's 700 or 800,000 of them in a refugee camp. Bangladesh says, help, help, help. Christian agencies are going in. And these people are coming to know Christ as their Savior. The harvest is plentiful. God will move people around if he has to so that we can get the gospel to them. He is doing amazing things these days. Indonesia, largest Muslim country in the world, the fourth largest country in the world. Indonesia um, is still persecuting Christians really radically. Everybody in Indonesia carries one of these cards. It's an ID card. And it identifies their name, where they were born, who their parents are. And in that circle, it identifies their religion. If they're born in Indonesia, they're automatically Islam. Last year, 2 million, 2 million Indonesians went into the government office and asked to change What's in that circle from Islam to Christianity? To, you know, I would think that would get a whisper of an amen. <laughs> That's something God did. We didn't do it. We can't do that. God did that. That's one every 20 seconds for a year saying, I want to follow Jesus. Folks, God is busy. There's good stuff going on. The harvest is plentiful. Last Sunday, I was in Papua New Guinea. That's that little island right above Australia. And... Um, we put in our, our, another radio station. It's radio station number 32. Papua New Guinea has decided that they like what's on the radio. They like this Jesus stuff. Last year they passed a law. I met the guy who wrote the law. I got to thank him personally. 
The law is very simple. Every school in Papua New Guinea is going to teach from the Word of God. <laughs> they're, they're going this way. We're going the other way. Now, who's the backward nation? This is one of the guys who just heard the gospel in his own language. He's pretty excited. The harvest, folks, is plentiful. God is doing it. It's not up to us. It's not up to you. You don't have to go and get your neighbor saved. You don't do that. You go and sow seeds, show them what Jesus looks like, and the Spirit of God will lead them to him. You just are the worker. Now we're going to take a little quiz, okay? So you need a pencil, all right? Oh, you're all moving really quick on this. You need, you need a pencil. It's only a four-question quiz, okay? First question. You and I sit down for a cup of coffee. Can you tell me three things about Jesus? Yes or no? No maybes. Yes or no? Can you tell me three things about Jesus? Just put a little code there. Number one is why. You, you could maybe remember these answers if you're just too stubborn to write them down. Second question. In the same conversation as we're talking, could you tell me three things the Bible says? Could you tell me three things the Bible says? Be pretty accurate with it. Maybe even know where it says it. Could you tell me three things? Question number three, and that's a yes or no, no maybe. Question number three, when you pray, does God listen? Yes or no? No maybes. Yes or no? And question number four, when you die, will you go to heaven? Yes or no? No maybes. Yes or no? Okay, that's the quiz. Now let's just get the answers. Let me show you some maps. This is a map of the world made up of billions. So each color represents a billion people. So you can see that it takes North America, South America, and Australia to make a billion people. And it takes Africa to make a billion people. And then you have that group over in China and India that are kind of clustered together. But collectively, there are seven different colors there, seven billion people. Question number one, could you tell me three things the Bible says? If your answer is no, then I would, I would or three things that, about Jesus. If your answer is no, then I would suggest that you maybe, maybe look around you and see if you see somebody that you think might know three things about Jesus. And when the service is over, before you leave, ask them what their answers would have been. Ask them to tell you three things about Jesus. It's okay. We're in church. You can do that. If your answer is no, you're going to identify with two billion people on earth who can't tell you three things about Jesus. So you take two of these colors, any two colors that you want to, and just separate those two colors out from the rest of the world and understand that that many people don't know three things about Jesus.
doesn't make sense today with all the high tech. So Jesus would say, hey, I can, I can tell them about me, you can tell them about me, but there's still two billion people out there that don't know what I did for them. They don't know that I love them. They don't know that I care about them. So if you said yes to that, I hope you're telling people the three things you know about Jesus. I hope your grandkids know those three things. I hope your neighbors know those three things. I hope the people you run into during the day know those three things. I hope you say the name Jesus several times every day so that people know that you know Jesus. And don't say it in a harsh way. I mean, there are people in this world that think Jesus is a cuss word. They don't know that he's a person. But you do. You know what? That makes you a worker. Qualified to be a worker. You know Jesus. You don't need to know all the answers. Just tell them what you know about Jesus. Second question, do you know three things that the Bible says? If you say no, then I bet this church has some Bibles. Do you have Bibles in the pews? Take it. Take it. If you can't answer that question, yes, then take the Bible from the pew. Is that okay? I'll replace it. Okay. Take the Bible from the pew. Take it with you. Don't sneak it out. Just carry it out. Read it. It speaks to you. The Bible is a living book. You read it, it will get inside you and take hold and begin to live inside of you. There will be things when you read them you will never forget. Unfortunately, this part of the world is called the 1040 window. You know about the 1040 window. These are all religious-controlled countries. The dark blue is Islam. The green is Hindu. The yellow is communist Buddhist. The orange is Buddhist alone. Those countries would not have, the people in those countries would not have access to Bibles. We have to really work hard to get Bibles to those people. Many of them have never seen a Bible. If you said yes, you know three things the Bible says, then you're, you're equipped to share those three things. You don't even have to answer deep theological questions. Just share those three things that you know with some other people. Hey, did you know the Bible says this? Just say it out cold as can be. It'll blow them away, but it'll plant a seed. When they hear what the Bible says, they can't get rid of it because then the Holy Spirit starts nailing it down inside their hearts. That's how it works. So if you know three things that the Bible says, congratulations, you're equipped, you're a worker. This is the part of the world that my wife and I spend our time in. We, we love this part of the world. It's Asia. 51% of the people on planet Earth live inside this, this circle. 51%. There's more people inside the circle than outside the circle. There's more Muslims inside the circle than outside the circle. There's more Buddhists inside the circle than outside the circle. There's more Hindus inside the circle than outside the circle. There's more people that have never heard about Jesus inside the circle than outside the circle. 
51% of the planet's population is inside that circle. And when those people pray to their God, they ring bells to get his attention. They burn incense, hoping to make it attractive enough that he wants to come. They, they face a certain direction because they want to they make sure they're looking toward him. I mean, they have a lot of rules they have to go through in order to get to their God. You, on the other hand, if you said yes to that question, when you pray God hears you, then you understand that when you're in the grocery store and you're talking to somebody who has just come from the doctor and they got really bad news at the doctor, you can stand in the middle of aisle three, put your hand on their shoulder, and enter right in to the presence of God. Do you understand the power you have to be able to do that? Do you have any idea? You're the only people on earth that the religion allows you to do that access to God. When you say, Father, he stops everything in heaven and says, yes, what is it? You have neighbors that don't have any idea how to pray. You have people in your family that don't know how to pray. They could never say yes to that question. You, my friend, are one who can offer hope, peace, and life to anybody you encounter, anybody you run into. You can offer hope, peace, and life through prayer. Congratulations, worker. He's talking to you when he talks about the harvest being plentiful. If I only had somebody who would be willing to pray with this guy. If I only had somebody who would be willing to, to do something. It works like this. That in the middle of the night, somebody rolls over in bed in their deep, deep depression and sadness and sorrow. And they cry out to God, God help me. They've never talked to him before, but they're desperate. They're, they're at their end of their journey. They don't know what to do. And they just cry out to God. God hears that prayer. Then he whispers to you and says, hey, I want you to stop by so-and-so, and I want you to see so-and-so. Oh, and while you're there, I want you to do this. And while you're doing this, because you just feel like you ought to, or he makes it happen, your car breaks down, you've got to take it into the shop, something happens. There you are face-to-face -face with that person. He's put his worker right in line with you. One of my favorite stories, and I've told it here before, comes from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. It's, it's my very favorite story of God doing this kind of thing, making workers out of us. Uh, I was preaching in a missions conference there, and on Sunday night I was preaching on a very, or Monday night I was preaching on a very simple topic of God loves you. And I was encouraging people to say God loves you to other people, just Three simple little words. How can people be mad at you for saying God loves you? How can they get upset with you for paying your bill and as you walk away saying, hey, yeah, God loves you? How, how can they be upset with that? I didn't know that God was working in hearts of people. There was a guy sitting over in this section over here who, who was thinking of his, his brother. He had never told his brother that God loves him. 
And God was really convicting him to tell his brother that God loves him. And he was thinking, I, I got to do this. I, I think I'll do it tonight when I get home. A guy in the middle section, a leader in the church, he, he, was, he was very good at talking the faith, but he wasn't very good at the practice of it. And, and he hadn't been very faithful with his neighbor. He had a neighbor that wouldn't come to church, wasn't interested in Christian things, and he'd kind of let it slide and let it go and just ignored him for a long time. And God spoke to him about telling him that God loves him. The guy over in this section had no question whatsoever. He, he, he knew that he was going to get a haircut the next day, and, and the, the barber, they always talked about sports and taxation and government and everything else, but he never told the barber that God loves him. And just like that, God said, that's the guy you're supposed to tell. It, it's probably happened already to you. Somebody here has been reminded, hey, I, I've got to tell this person. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. So that night, man number one goes home, but it's Monday night, Monday night football, Wisconsin, Green Bay Packers. He's thinking, oh, I can't call my brother. It's a football game going on. I can't call him now. And Holy Spirit says, oh, you're going you're gonna to weasel out of this thing, huh? Which, which is, weasel is a good original Greek word, and we do it a lot, don't we? So he picks up the phone, and he his brother answers, and he can hear the football game in the background. And his brother say, he says, uh, hey, I just want to tell you two things real quick. And he didn't know why he said two things. So now he's got to come up with something else. <laughs> so he says, um, I love you. Well, he hadn't said that in a long time. And his brother's thinking, man, he's going to die. Or he needs money. Or his brother's going to jump into all these conclusions. And then he says, and God loves you. Have a good night. Click and hangs up. And the brother's just standing there holding the phone, back when you held phones, and he's kind of going, what in the world was that? What, what was that? He was still thinking about the next day when he's backing his car out of the driveway, would you believe that man number two was his next-door neighbor? See how God does stuff? And man number two is putting his trash out, and the Spirit of God says, hey, first person you see today, there's your neighbor. You haven't told him. Tell him now. Oh, man, I'll, I'll, work, it up. I'll work up to it. Maybe this evening we'll come over and talk and chat a little bit, and then I'll put it. But we always come up with these excuses. And God really worked on him, so he finally flagged down his neighbor. Neighbor stopped, rolled down his window. The guy walks over from his trash can and says, hey, have a good day, and God loves you, and turned right around and went back to his trash can. <clears throat> the guy in the car is still thinking about his brother's phone call last night. And now his neighbor has told him. He's just, he's just, what is going on? How come these two guys have both told me this? Some of you are way ahead of me, aren't you? He's a barber, and he's cutting man number three's hair, and man number three is talking about sports and taxation and government and everything else, and he hasn't said it. And finally, he feels that little doily coming off of his neck and the little brush on the back, and he knows the haircut's over, 
and he hasn't done it, and he's feeling like he's going to wimp out. So he just kind of shouts out, God loves you. The guy spins the chair around, plants his arms on the arms of the chair, leans into his face. But he's been thinking about this all morning. He says, what is going on? What did you say? Now he's got to say it again. Face to face, kind of cold turkey. God loves you. And the guy says to him, my brother called me last night and told me that. My neighbor this morning told me that. And now you're telling me that. The guy in the chair had never led anybody to the Lord. But he had enough sense to say, whoa, God must really love you to go to all this work. Tuesday night, there are four men standing around me all telling the story. They're each finishing each other's sentences. There's the brother who really believes that by just telling his, his brother that simple message, his brother is now at church. There's the neighbor who finally got his neighbor to come to church. There's the guy in the barber chair who got to lead the barber to the Lord that day. And, of course, there's the barber who is just amazed. Wonder if one of those guys had dropped the ball. God orchestrates his stuff, folks, and he uses workers. And if you're a worker, then he's going to use you. He's going to set you up to be a part of something spectacular to help with the harvest. And heaven, if you know about heaven, you're more fortunate than most of the people that live in this part of the world because they think they're going to have another round in the future and have to get it right. They don't have the hope of heaven. Or they believe that God is this great judge that measures the good stuff and the bad stuff and somehow balances it out. And if you have more good stuff, you go to heaven. If you don't, you don't. You know that he's preparing a place for you. And if he's gone to prepare a place for you, he's going to come again and get you so that you can be where he is. You know that. You have that confidence. You're a worker. So how do, you, how do you respond to all of this? In the Old Testament, there's a man named Isaiah who came face to face with the truth that he was a worker, that God had redeemed him for a purpose, that life was meant to serve God, that you don't retire from serving God, that you're never too young to serve God, that you're not equipped enough to serve God. He came to understand that God has prepared us and set us up for what he calls an abundant life, one where we get to be involved in the transformation of other people. Some of those people might be in our family. Some might be our good friends. Some might be neighbors. Some might be people we work with, go to school with. Some might be on the other side of the world. It's wherever he plants us, that's where we serve. You saw a lineup of people here who are involved in the transformation of people from walking in darkness to walking in the light.
And Isaiah responded very simply. Here am I, Lord. Send me. That is the response of a worker. Not I'll sit and watch and applaud or I'll sit and decide who's doing a good job and not doing a good job. Or I'll just sit and wait and see. The harvest is plentiful. What God needs are people who will say, here am I, Lord, send me. Really, what we need to understand is our response needs to be, I don't want to miss out on anything. God, you got some place for me. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege we have of serving you. You've called us. You don't need us. You could do this all by yourself. But some reason, you've invited us to join you in the harvest, to see our friends and our loved ones and family members and co-workers and fellow students and people we know come to know you and to, to celebrate new life with them. And Lord, some of us have never had that experience. It's because we've been spectators for too long. We've just been watching, sitting, waiting, feeling unqualified. And here, Lord, we are equipped. We are ready to serve you. We're workers. And Lord, there are people here today who would say, here am I, Lord. In fact, if there is somebody here who would say that, just raise your hand and wave at me. Here am I, Lord. Okay, got it. Here am I, Lord. Okay, okay. Good, 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 good. Over this side. Yep, see ya. I want in, Lord. I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to hear about all the stuff you're doing through other people. Use me. Anybody else? Yeah, good, 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 good. I would encourage you that raised your hands, uh, maybe check out with one of the pastors and just say, hey, I raised my hand on Sunday and I, I just want to get into it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to live my life and miss this stuff. I want to be used of God in his harvest. He's doing great things. It's wonderful to watch. You can all see a smiley face like that guy in Papua New Guinea. I hope it's somebody you know. Father, thank you. Thank you. You've never quit calling us to work in your harvest. Thank you for these who have responded today. Bless us, Lord. Bless this conference. Thank you for this church and the ministry they have around the world. May that ministry come through us to our world as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>